It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't sit here and control They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. Well, I ain't spending any time, though, because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, g'day and welcome, listeners, to The Two Jacks. And uh, we, uh, well, we'd love to bring you a show today, but nothing actually happened in the world in the last week. And no, it actually has. Quite a lot has happened. And uh, joining me to discuss it all is uh, Hong Kong Jack, who's got a bit of a lurgy today, mate, possibly COVID. Well, who knows? A lot of people are getting COVID around here and even more on the mainland. Um, I, I tell you, when I was watching um, uh, The Drum last night, I know it's your favourite show. Oh, it's a wonderful uh, show. And they, and they were talking to their um, their uh, movie expert about the Oscars. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he was waxing lyrical about one particular movie and he says that the director did a great job. He made use of the visual medium. And I thought, well, there it is go. a film. <laughs> well, you know, that... <laughs> That's kind of one of those KPIs, isn't it, Jack? Yeah. Uh, when you make a film, you 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 make you make it in a visual <laughs> forum, visual platform. Yeah. And uh, look, uh, kicking us off today, uh, just across uh, the drink from you uh, in China, Jack. Uh, the uh, the pre- president Xi has had his third term confirmed by the national part National People's Congress. Yeah, this is the, um, the the government part of the government, if you like. Uh, it's the least important part, really. Um, what the, the, his title that really matters is not that he's president; it's that he's general secretary of the Communist Party. Yes, that's that's the most important thing. But but the National People's Congress, I, I think, has, you know, you need a big room to fit them all in, don't you? Yeah, I, I couldn't count them last night, or I saw it on the telly. <laughs> there was quite a few people there. Uh, the President Xi said, uh, security is the bedrock of development, while stability is a prerequisite for prosperity. Sounds a little bit contrary to what the Sydney Morning Herald has been running over the last week. Did you catch any of that, Jack, by the way? I saw a little bit of it, yes. What do you make of it? I, I mean, it just seems to be unnecessarily... Um, uh, provocative and, and and a little bit scary uh, if you're if you're perhaps a little bit suggestible as I'd suggest some of the uh, Sydney Morning Herald readers are um, I, I would I would have come to the same conclusion yes yeah I, I just don't think that's necessary media watch sort of ripped it apart because they didn't uh, you know the, the the so-called panel of experts are all it was a bit of an agreeathon. Uh, including uh, one particular member who's been suggesting uh, war with China was months away, and he said that years ago. Mm. Um, um, so it was a bit like the ABC, was it? Everyone agreeing with everybody else? Everybody agreeing. Uh, Peter Archer put together a team that would agree with him. He's a long-standing uh, critic of China and uh, um, um, and uh, a, a fellow who, who believes that uh, China's... Uh, uh, China's uh, strategic interests will, at some point, very, 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 very soon, uh, allow a sort of military-style invasion of Australia. I don't sound flippant about it, but really, I, I don't know. There's a lot of understanding going on about China's interests. You know, wh- when we look at South China Sea and the build-up of their naval fleet, a lot of it is designed. Uh, I mean, I mean, 
Peter Archer might be paranoid about China, but but the Chinese government tend to be paranoid about, particularly about the US, and open and keeping their shipping lanes open. Uh, that a blockade would cause uh, in, incredible harm to China. So that's when I look at these sorts of things like the South China Sea. I don't agree with them, by the way. You can see, if you look at it from a, a different point of view, you can see China's strategic interest is about keeping that country supplied with food and everything else it needs. Uh, personally, I think the China hawks get China wrong, um, as do the um, the champions of China in Australia. You know, like your Paul Keatings and your Bob Cast, they get it wrong as well. Mm, okay. All right. Well, um, what does this mean now? Um, uh, for, for Does it have any consequences? This is the, uh, the grand meeting of the National People's Congress. What does that have any impact on Hong Kong, Jack? Uh, well, uh, President Xi Jinping was talking up Hong Kong and Macau and wants them to be prosperous and secure and stable. Well, that sounds uh, perfectly reasonable. Um, uh, in the meantime, Jack, going coming back to our own shores, um, uh, there's been a bit of a Barney about The Voice with Brett Walker, probably uh, our most, uh, most uh, well-known uh, uh, I think he takes the term uh, KC now, doesn't he? I think uh, so. Rather yes. than SC. No, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Brett Walker, it must be said, has made more appearances uh, to the Australian High Court than any other um, 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 uh, KC or council uh, in Australia. Uh, and he made basically, I think he addressed a, uh, a meeting at his, was it at his firm? Um, where he outlined his uh, 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 criticism of those who, who, who are sort of supporting the no vote, uh, describing it as a bit racist, describing, specifically describing the, the description of, uh, of a voice as a third chamber of parliament as being grounded in racism, Jack. And this brought the ire of Louise Clegg, uh, who's another prominent barrister and in Sydney, uh, and also the wife of uh, uh, of Angus Taylor, who's the shadow spokesman for oh, I can't think, Jack. What what, what portfolio has any stuff done? Uh, is he treasurer, shadow treasurer, or something? No, he's not shadow treasurer. God, God, no, they wouldn't let him anywhere near any money. Um, <laughs> but um, I think he might be a shadow energy minister. But no, I could be. be wrong about that. But anyway, yes. What did you make of that, Barney? Um, I read Brett Walker's speech. It was at Clayton Newt's major work for us too, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, uh, it, for, a, for a very, very smart fellow, it wasn't all that logical. All right, yes, and it did grab the hour, I think. Look, I, I, one of the things I think we need to avoid in this discussion about the voice, and there will be some heated discussion at times, is that we want to avoid uh, allegations of racism, don't we? I mean, you know, the, the, the no vote um, is mired, for example, in racism. I think that's a sort of pointless argument to make uh, and, and potentially harmful to, to the yes to the yes push. I think it is. I think it's a losing move. All right. Well, Marcia Langton had uh, something to say too about, uh, and she sort of said, well, let's just go to the courts. If you need to sort it out, let's go to the courts. That's yes. not terribly sensible either, is it? You want you want to actually get the legislation right, don't you? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, my view of the, the voices, I said it was about a 40% chance of success last week. It's probably gone down about five points since then. 
There you go. All right, Jess, there will be more and more criticism of The Voice. We're still waiting for a clear question from uh, the the advisory panel, uh, and that will really sort of kick off a bit more debate. But, yeah, calling the no votes racist, I'm sure some of them them, uh, in the the lower echelons of this debate might be, but uh, but the people who are arguing the case, it it really serves no purpose. Now, Jack, have you got a lazy... You look at people like Louise Clegg and, um, and Frank Brennan, who have who are troubled by aspects of the current proposal? Um, if you start calling either of them racist, you you really are losing the debate. Yeah, all right, I, I, I totally agree with that. The, uh, <coughs> the have you got a lazy three hundred billion lying around, Jack? I had a look under the couch cushions and I couldn't <laughs> find it. <laughs> that is the estimated cost of Australia's new purchase of uh, mainly US, but I think one UK nuclear sub. It's being hailed, certainly, in uh, the reading that I've done in the Australia, it's been hailed as, as, as a big step forward, a major strategic initiative. Um, the, uh, the first of the subs will roll off the assembly plan. The nuclear subs will roll off, I think, as an estimated 2033. But in the meantime, as soon as 2024, 25, there will be nuclear subs, US nuclear subs, uh, and one uh, UK nuclear sub arriving in our ports, Jack. Yeah, um, and, and the Prime Minister dusted off the old cliche, it's a new dawn. <laughs> it's a new dawn. Yeah, it's new dawn. Well, it, it is very, very significant in terms of our strategic uh, ca- capabilities. Probably worthwhile just explaining why submarines are so valuable. Um, they can basically lurk around. They are intended, like um, like uh, um, uh, uh, Australia's uh, air force capacity. Uh, they are. Uh, it's basically provides a first strike capability or a second response capability uh, of great lethality. That is basically these new subs will not contain nuclear arms, but they will contain the ability. Uh, they will contain the ability to uh, to launch uh, cruise missiles uh, as well as torpedoes to to strike uh, naval forces on the sea. Um, it does very much change uh, the way uh, we will be looked at by the world. It also draws us much much closer to the United States. Jack, is that a good thing? Paul Keating says no. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, yes, help us out. Go on, well, tell well, me no, more. I, I, I just think you know, this is going to take a long time to come to fruition um, uh, and I, I've got no objection to the decision is what I, is how I would put it. I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a cheerleader for it, but nor am I an opponent for it. Yeah, so, you know, when we bought the Joint Strike, uh, joint strike Fighter, Jack, uh, um, uh, the Indonesians became a little bit upset, for example, yes. because... And, they, and, the they, Ch- and the Chinese will be upset about this. Um, and we're going to have to manage that. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, that this, <laughs> you, 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 what you're selling is uh, a first strike capability as a defensive capability. Mm. Uh, and that's why the Indonesians got a little bit upset because you've, you've got the ability to strike into Southeast Asia, obviously Indonesia, uh, with, with, uh, with a joint strike fighter, which is, you know, basically... Well, I think if it all works, um, uh, a high-tech fighter, 
um, uh, that will... But our F-111s had a capacity to strike into Indonesia as well. Yeah, that's right. But these, uh, in that in that ongoing sort of um, uh, a balance of uh, of who has the stronger capability, uh, the Joint Strike Fighter completely out outguns, if you like, the um, Indonesian Air Force, for example, who are essentially relying on MiGs. They've been buying MiGs uh, Soviet fighters for a very long time, haven't they? Yeah, well, they're on the other on the other side of Indonesia, they have Singapore as a, a small but formidable um, uh, air force uh, there. Where are they getting their gear from, mate? Is that is that a British gear, or US? No, it's um, uh, it, it's a bit of bit bit of everywhere. But they've got um, uh, Hornets and all that sort of stuff. American fighters. I mean, if you're in Singapore, um, there's always one taking off and landing and working around the um, uh, working around the island. There's one sort of story that's gone largely unreported, of course. The, the, the whole business of the subs began with a deal with a French munitions company uh, to, to, to build, I think it was six uh, um, uh, non-nuclear powered, that's not the right term, but the, but but, uh, but uh, not conventionally powered yeah, submarines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this involved... Um, uh, and now this involves paying that company a significant amount of money, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I, I think somewhere, somewhere the compensation runs at about $6 billion for essentially nothing. Mm. I can tell you that I checked Pearls and Irritations this morning, um, which is the student newsletter for retired public servants and Jack Waterford, the Canberra Times journals, nice. um, and they're not happy. Not happy? No. What's what's their what, what what's their problem with this? Oh, various this is- takes, but they're they're not going to. But you, you wouldn't expect them to be happy, as I said. They've um, since they've retired from the civil service, they've um, they've gone back to their student um, uh, politician days, and um, they're opposed <laughs> to the US entirely. That's the that's the that's the point I'm trying to make. That um, uh, that uh, uh, that there is a still a profound anti-US sentiment in this country. Um, and, uh, and, and this, you know, this really does bring Australia's strategic interest very much in line. It's, it, AUKUS is, is ANZUS writ large without New Zealand in it, uh, and, and really just does, you know, there, there will be issues because US nuclear powered submarines, uh, contain nuclear weapons, as I'm sure the British do, the British do, and they will be landing in our ports. Um, what's there's nothing really different about that, by the way, um, and it's and, and it's no, always the, been the, they've been the, doing port visits anyway. Yeah, there, yeah. Well, we, 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 you know, we, we get very excited when the big uh, when, when the big Abraham Lincoln, um, uh, the, the, the big the big boat uh, from the states comes to visit, uh, and that is loaded to the gunnels with nuclear weapons, and and uh, the US uh, the US always does the don't ask, don't tell thing. Of course, this mm. led to uh, basically the uh, withdrawal of New Zealand from uh, uh, from uh, from the ANZUS Treaty. Uh, and I think they're still begging to get back in, aren't they, Jack? Well, I don't know. Um, uh, at any event, they've um, they've given up on providing for their own defence. They're just relying on uh, on their friends to look after them if it, if it comes to that. It's a. I think it's a geographic defence. It's a long, long yeah. way away yeah. from anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and there's no, not much there when you get there. <laughs> that's right. Not a lot of strategic value once you take it over. Um, and speaking of the United States, Jack, um, uh, Tucker Carlson... <laughs> You don't know what he's thinking, do you? It depends. 
<laughs> you got to you, you need to read his texts, and then you need to see what he's on the television. Well, and he it really doesn't seem to be any sort of divergence there. Um, he did run a show where he ran the January 6th tapes, uh, which included a, a bit of a, an invitation almost uh, for uh, uh, for the, the, the Q shaman to enter in, uh, enter into the building. It was very misleading. The, 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 the footage itself had come from, um, from the House Speaker. Yes, there's 40,000... Uh, hours, I think, isn't there, uh, of of of, TV, of closed circuit camera footage? Yeah, we didn't see the, the full forty thousand. Uh, we yeah. only saw a few a few minutes of it. I mean, how, how can Tucker Carlson? Let's start with this. How can Tucker Carlson be taken seriously when texts that have been released in regard to this Dominion um, voting systems um, uh, a, a lawsuit against uh, uh, News Corp and Fox News, um, Fox News, not News Corp. Um, uh, it, it, it indicates that he, Carlson was saying Trump was a lunatic, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the election, uh, uh, the election, electoral fraud stuff was just all nonsense uh, and he believed that at the time and then he got up on the show that evening and go, it's terrible what's happening, there's been electoral fraud. Mm. Well, he wouldn't be the first journalist who ever who's ever done that. Well, he's certainly um, not the first at Fox News. There's there's, uh, there's two uh, or three of them there: Sean Hannity, uh, Laura Ingram, as well. It, yeah. you've ne- I've never seen it so so well laid out that, that that his private musings are so diametrically opposed, or are diametrically opposed to his on-air musings. Yeah, um, I'm not all that interested in, in whether he's a good person or a bad person. Um, I don't think um, uh, the, uh, the the show he put out um, actually showed that um, anyone hadn't committed crimes which they've been convicted. Duly convicted of, yes. Yeah. Some of them sent um, to long except jail that, Except that there is one chance that the shaman fellow might get off and perhaps some other people might get off is if... They, their counsel were not shown the exculpatory evidence, were not given access to it, and the and the prosecution had it, that would be grounds to dismiss the charges. Very interesting case of the Q Sharman, Jack. He actually actually you know wrote to and sought public support from Donald Trump. He sought a, he actually sought a pardon. Uh, which was he actually the, pled guilty, of course. Yeah, he did, which was duly ignored. He did plead guilty because it, well, that was what we might call a plea bargain. He was looking at a fair old, fair old stretch. I think he's doing four years off the top of my head. Yeah, he's he, he will only eat organic food, Jack, and that's uh, his mother uh, sought um, uh, sought the support of the courts to uh, to bring food into him. That was while he was. Uh, uh, remanded essentially. Uh, I'm not sure how he's going now. The American prison system, food there is it's essentially it's like a cheap form of McDonald's. That's probably not the right way. A very cheap sort of fast food stuff. And uh, the poor old Q Sharman, who's uh, who's been raised on, uh, on on organic food, has to chow down on a on a, on a junior cheeseburger every night. Yeah, um, the, the solution to that just, just screams at me. Just tell him it's organic. <laughs> You put a stamp on the burger, yeah. put a flag on it. Yeah, okay. So it, 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 it is an interesting one because some of this footage was not made available. He did, in fact, play guilty, which 
doesn't give him a lot of wiggle room, though. Um, uh, does it? Does it? <clears throat> the, the real question is, why was access to the 40,000 hours of this footage just given to one um, uh, uh, journalist, uh, or in fact, he's, a, he's an opinion columnist, um, and why it wasn't given to everybody and why it wasn't given to everybody um, uh, years ago. So what are we going to call it, Jack? Was it an insurrection or was it just a full-scale riot? Because oh, I've, well, I've always called it a riot, uh, attempt it, it, at insurrection. It looked like a riot to me. It was, it was, um, um, uh, it was in fact, a, a riotous affair. And a number of people, a number of Congress people have come forward since to... Uh, to talk about their experience on that day, including a number of Republicans who said, "Yeah, look, it it, it, it was nasty," and uh, and and they felt for their lives. Um, all right. Well, uh, <coughs> uh, McCarthy's released a video, as I say, uh, <coughs> but uh, giving it to to Carlson is is a bit odd. I think that's the point you're making, Jack. Well, I, I would. Uh, uh, First of all, Nancy Pelosi should have handed it out years ago, mm. uh, or, or provided access to it. Um, uh, and 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 McCarthy um, equally is at fault because he only gave it to one person. He should have given it to um, the news reporters, all of them. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, now to some uh, Democrat polling, Jack, uh, for the uh, the twenty twenty four run. And uh, this, this is the alternate, alternate. This is contenders. the others, yeah. Everyone but Joe. Yeah. And so it runs like this: uh, Kamala Harris, twenty-seven percent; Buttigieg, uh, Pete, Pete, the mayor, Buttigieg, fourteen percent; um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, eight percent; um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, six percent; Newsom, six percent, despite his fabulous hair. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, five percent, mm. um, and the rest of them you won't have heard of, pretty much. Um, yeah. And that goes to tell you, I, look, I looked at that list and said, Joe's going to be the nominee. Oh, well, if it, look, the basic rule of thumb is a, a sitting president says, I'm running again, that's that's the end of it. There's no primary. Well, well it, it, except if there's a credible alternative. And you look at that list and there isn't. Yeah, look, my, uh, my, my tip, my alternate tip for Amy Klobuchar, because of her credentials, is a kind of centre-left, but also... Uh, uh, has strong support within the Midwest. Um, uh, she's, uh, she's 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 not looking all that flashy. That's the trouble. Yeah, not looking all that. Then you've got Kamala at twenty seven percent is leading the pack, and you've got to say, well, Joe, Joe, just Joe, Joe, if you uh, uh, Joe, if he remains fit, uh, should uh, should uh, should uh, should be the the, uh, the 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 nominee, or she'll just go straight through uh, in that. It raises the issue, doesn't it? I mean, Joe, I think he's just turned 80, hasn't he? Um, and uh, I'll just check his age. But uh, he, he's, 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 he's uh, no spring chicken. Uh, and, uh, and, and then we look across the place. Uh, yeah, he just turned 80 in November last year. Um, if we look across the place, um, you've got some very old people, of course, um, uh, of course, um, uh, uh, <coughs> McConnell, Mitch McConnell had a fall uh, and was concussed. I think he's just back at work now. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's almost like a, an aged care home. You've got, 
You've got uh, Biden at 80, as we say. Nancy Pelosi, 82. Maxine Walters is 83. Chuck Grasley is 88. Diane Feinstein, if she can remember, is 89. Klaus Schwab is 84. George Soros is 94. That surprised me a little bit. I didn't think he was as mm. old as that, Jack. But, yeah, we have got a bit of this – is, this is something that Elon Musk has tweeted up too, by the way. Mm. But he hasn't had a uh, hasn't had a huge uh, week himself, so maybe – Wait for age uh, isn't the best way of looking at things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's very, dif- very different to Australia. We tend to we tend to push them off into the pasture long before that. Well, I think there's something to be said. So certainly, if we high court judge is seventy, isn't it? Uh, Seventy-two. Seventy-two. Um, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, I've never understood why why the SCOTUS in the United States allows people just to, you know, they can retire, of course, but but if they're not of that, if they're not of that mentality, they can hang around there until you know, hundred years of age. That doesn't make any sense to me. That used to be the rule in Australia um, uh, until I think the mid seventies. One I think that was, few, it was another re- Whitlam reform. I'm pretty yeah, sure. One of the few sure. referendums that have passed um, that was reducing the, the age of judges to 72. Um, before that, they could do it for life. Um, what was his name? Well, that might Justice, Mc, Justice McTiernan, um, uh, who was served till a very great age, and, uh, and most of his judgments in his later years simply said, I concur. And I, I, and I, I think I got that wrong. It wasn't a Whitlam uh, reform or referendum. It was uh, it was done by uh, Fraser's uh, A.G. Ellicott. I think that yeah, I think it was. Right. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, look, <laughs> Jack, uh, uh, we might have uh, just a bit of a glimpse into <laughs> to uh, the nineteen thirties here of what's going on with minor banks led by the Silicon Valley Bank, which is having a major problem. Uh, in terms of its liquidity, uh, the U.S. government has uh, come out, uh, the Biden administration has come out and saying that they will um, uh, that they will provide guarantees around the Silicon Valley Bank, um, but the, uh, the Wall Street uh, uh, the Wall Street uh, <coughs> um, uh, figures uh, from this day show absolute smashing for the banks generally and the small banks in particular. So what's yeah, going wrong the, with the Silicon Valley Bank, Jack? The regional the, the regional bank situation in the United States is quite different to Australia. There are a lot of regional banks in the US and they hold a lot of money. Um, and they're down um, at, you know, yesterday 60% uh, and the major banks were down, you know, 5 to 8%. Um, so it's carnage on Wall Street in that respect. Um, it was carnage, yeah. Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading about this and, and people are suggesting that the cause of this is... is uh, is the US inflation rate? Um, yes, almost certainly. Um, well, that's a, a, a proximate cause. Um, yeah. What the US higher US inflation rate uh, has done has reduced the market price of the bonds, the long-term bonds um, that the bank was holding. Um, uh, there's a, a newsletter. I haven't actually read the whole newsletter, so I won't name it, uh, but he was suggesting a couple of months ago that uh, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, um, was leveraged 185 to one on assets, including the long-term um, uh, bonds and you know such gems as industry premium um, uh, uh, premium wine uh, holdings and all that sort of stuff. Um, right. And, and what so, happened so, so, is that uh, as things have gotten a bit hard in the tech, they are very heavy on tech investors. As things have gotten tough in the tech 
um, yeah. our world. People have started to pull their um, pull their um, uh, deposits out. Yes, uh, and that meant that they had to look to uh, how to cover those deposits, and that meant they had to mark to market. That is, market the current price. Um, the bond, long-term bonds they were holding, and their prices well down because of the inflation rate, um, yeah. and they didn't have the cash to follow it. Couldn't have did the you, cash to pay that. Did you just say one eighty-five to one? Is that the yep. Prudential funds? That yep. sort of thing. One eighty-five to one. So, so this I haven't I haven't been able to verify that. I only went, only right. read it late last night or early this morning. Look. I, I, I mean, look. If you were a customer of the uh, uh, of the SVB, that's the Silicon Valley Bank, Jack. What, what do you do? Do you you go into the bank and say, no, 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 I don't want the office furniture. Can you? Um, uh, I need the hard cash. You know, um, I, is it is it going to be? Look, as I said, the the, the the Biden administration has has guaranteed deposits, which might calm things down a bit. But it looks like this bank, well, <laughs> it may not make it, Jack. Uh, very early days and a lot to play out there, I think. Oh, very serious situation and reminiscent, and everyone is talking about every report you read says uh, the largest bank failure since the Great Recession. Yeah, well, it's actually two banks they've taken over. The other one's a, um, a, a New York-based bank called Signature Bank, yes. uh, which amusingly has the former uh, Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank, uh, the author of the Dodd-Frank um, uh, uh, legislation on its board, uh, and and it's the other thing, Jack. There are no, there are actually, I think, three signature banks. So there are two signature banks who've had mm. to come forward and say it's not us, mm. um, and and uh, come out with uh, with some uh, with some uh, press statements that said, please don't, please don't cause a run here. Yeah, biggest since the Great Recession. Uh, some of the reporting has. Well, has has gone way back into the 1930s when there was a uh, when there was a, a huge run on the banks and banking did collapse. But yes, uh, this is the this is the first we've seen since the Great Recession. That's what the Americans call um, uh, the um, and, and sometimes it's called the Northern Hemisphere um, uh, failure. But this is a, a failure of markets around the world 2007 2008. Yeah, um, Twitter's been going nuts about uh, the, the the fact that uh, Silicon Valley Bank was a very woke bank. They were very heavy on the DEI and uh, ESG, etc. And people been having a great deal of fun with that. Were they? Were yeah. they though? A little yeah, bit. They were. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They I didn't have not- a risk. They, they didn't have a risk manager uh, for some months last year, but they had plenty of DEI personnel. Right, so you do need to have that risk assessor on the premises. Goldman Sachs have been involved, Jack. Uh, yeah, well, but they were trying to um, um, put together a deal to buy it at ninety-five dollars, I think, on uh, on last Thursday, um, and they couldn't get it done overnight, which is probably just as well because it was worth about nothing the next day. <laughs> I was going to say it'd be worth a bit less than ninety-five now. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, one to watch, and and, uh, and you know, when banks collapse, it generally is a, a bit of a sign that economic times are not that solid. This one seems to be driven at its heart. There will be specifics around that. There'll be specific, perhaps management failures, etc., around uh, SVB. But uh, but uh, but the inflation rate in the United States is the major drama of that particular calamity. Um, <clears throat> uh, all right, so um, 
Um, uh, I'm just scrolling forward here. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just, just yes. Look, um, we just want to talk to. We just want to talk right now about Trump uh, and uh, his indictment. You reckon? You reckon he'll never go? You reckon he's he's. Uh, He's 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 uh, as slippery as an eel and will never get pinged, but it looks like there's a very strong chance that he will be indicted in New York, Jack. Yeah, um, I'd be surprised if he was, but uh, I've been surprised before. Yeah, and this relates to the uh, the payment uh, to Stormy Daniels, a porn actress that he says he had no relationship, sexual or otherwise, with. Uh, and uh, came out on his uh, true socials to say actually denigrated the woman. <laughs> Basically said, "Oh man, am I a man of my fine looks? Wouldn't uh, wouldn't waste his time with her." But um, but uh, they He's do have class, isn't he? Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he just he just knows how to sink the slipper. That's that's mm. what he's doing. But um, this relates to his former attorney, who's now been summoned to the grand jury. I believe gave evidence to the grand jury. Uh, his former personal lawyer uh, arranging a payment of, uh, of, uh, of some millions of dollars to Stormy Daniels, uh, sort of shut up money. But it has come from campaign funds, and that's where the illegality lies, Jack, or the alleged illegality lies. Mm. And of course, his former lawyer. What's his name? The uh, the fellow there. He did a bit of did a bit of jail time himself, and then spent uh, because of COVID, uh, spent the rest of it uh, with a, with an ankle bracelet on. Um, uh, his lawyer is uh, gleefully giving evidence against him. Wouldn't even be subpoenaed. He'd uh, be waiting. <laughs> he'd be waiting in the hallway with uh, with some papers in his hand, ready to go. Mm. All right. Uh, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia to reopen their embassies. That's a good move, isn't it, Jack? So these are the two powerhouses of uh, the Middle East. Uh, one is Sunni, that's the Saudis. Uh, the other is Shia, that's the Iranians. And uh, they've reopened embassies uh, in both of their capitals now in Tehran and uh, and uh, Riyadh, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's Probably good news for the Yemenis, where uh, in Yemen, um, uh, Iran and um, and Saudi have been waging a proxy war, if you like, with different supporting different factions in Yemen. But personally, I don't think it's almost it's bad news for everybody else in the Middle East. Why so? Um, Can't be good. These two powerhouses at least have diplomatic lines of communication open. No, um, uh, Iran needs to be contained for the sake of the rest of the Middle East. Well, what about the Saudis? How come they get get off scot-free every time with their human rights abuses? I mean, it's a terrible, terrible regime. How come they keep skating oh, I, I, I don't think they, I, I don't think they should and, and nor do they, but um, they're nowhere near as bad as the Iranians. Sometimes it's a matter of um, uh, uh, which of these people which of these people are the worst. Is that, but that's surely not how you can bring about peace in, in the Middle East. The, the Saudis are still filthy with the Americans for the invasion of Iran, or the Iran War Two, Jack, uh, because they realised, uh, unlike the Americans, that that uh, that toppling Saddam uh, would necessarily mean a um, uh, the Shia, major, Shia, Shia majority in Iran would state, take control of the country. And, and yeah. basically Iran, southern Iran, and, uh, sorry, that's, I'm, I'm getting confused, south, southern Iraq 
um, is essentially a satellite of uh, of uh, Iran now. Yep. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I don't see this as a bad thing. The China put the put the deal together, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, it was signed in Beijing. Okay. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but um, but uh, look, we, 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 you and I are both opposed to both regimes. Uh, I, I don't think there's any value at all in the US in particular, and Australia sells a lot of uh, we sell a lot of bush rangers to the Saudis, Jack. I think we um, do, <clears throat> but I don't think there's any point in picking one over the other. They're both as bad as each other. That's mm. where the next Middle East conflict comes from, isn't it? Really. If it's not managed properly, that's where the next big, big conflagration in the Middle East can occur, Saudis versus the Iranians. Mm. They've been involved in proxy wars for as long as you mentioned. Yeah, yes, Yemen, but also in Iraq, uh, also uh, also in Lebanon. Um, yeah, that's been going for a while. Um, <clears throat> all right, now, Jack, we've got to get into this. This is uh, the UK and their... Their uh, new policy um, uh, on uh, on on turning back boat arrivals. Just just before just before we go there, I, I saw something this morning that I that I haven't had a chance to raise with you before. Um, support for Scottish independence has fallen to thirty nine percent. I would expect so with with Sir Sturgeon resigning and um, uh, the unlikelihood of a referendum. I mean, if, if if someone came forward and it won't happen in the foreseeable future, I, I think it actually tells us something something else. It tells us what a formidable politician Nicola Sturgeon was. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, that's a very good point to make. Um, <laughs> that, that, that without her, the thing's collapsing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it, it it could kick up again at any time. Yeah, um, but but yeah. But the, but the Scottish National Party has all sorts of weird and wonderful people in it um, with no real um, core set of values. And without her to weld the thing together, the thing's just collapsing. Um, none of the three um, uh, potential candidates to be her replacement look the least bit likely to be able to pull off independence. Well, all three of them have basically knocked it back. Yeah. Um, as, as, uh, and, and, and it's not viable because... The referendum, just to explain to listeners, if if there was to be a referendum, it would need to be cleared in the in the uh, in the UK Parliament. It would need to be cleared through the Commons and and the House of Lords first, and that seems very very unlikely. Yeah. So we'll get to that now. So so uh, uh, you've talked about a little bit a little bit there the the for for some time now that the the issue um, is boat arrivals illegal. Arrival, shall we call them? And I don't like that term, but um, and that that was a political problem the Tories needed to solve in order to become vaguely electable. Yeah, unauthorized arrivals they were called in Australia, I think. From from it. All right, there's so much to unpack here, Jack. Isn't there? Not, not least of all uh, that a a certain. Certain soccer presenter and a very fine soccer player in his in his time, Gary Lineker, is uh, is uh, 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 fallen foul of the of the BBC. We'll get to that in a moment. But what is actually being proposed by uh, what is actually being proposed by the uh, by the Sunak government here, Jack? We're talking about they're talking about small boat interceptions, aren't they? 
They are. Um, and exactly how they're going to do that, um, they haven't disclosed, and nor should they. Um, you know, what they're talking about, though, is if, if you arrive unauthorised, um, you will not be eligible for um, long-term um, settlement in Britain, uh, you know, uh, becoming a permanent resident, becoming a citizen. And therefore, you'll be either sent back to your country of origin or where that's not safe, um, and we'll get get to the nature of these sort of small boat arrivals in a minute, and when that's not safe, they'll be uh, shipped off to uh, Rwanda, which is currently not accepting um, um, uh, um, uh, rejected refugees from the UK due to a number of court challenges. Or, or in the case of Albanians, say, being sent back to Albania. They have a return, have a return agreement. Yeah, they with have with Albania as well. The, the, the small boat arrivals, Jack, as I'm told, uh, are essentially Afghan refugees, Jack. You know, the, the uh, t- no, that, that's not the information I've seen. Well, I was I was reading uh, from well, you know, it may well not be accurate, but this is from a human rights group, and they're saying that the the, the, the majority of them are Afghan uh, refugees. You might have a different view, a different. Uh, understanding of that and of course the Taliban is kicking off there um, yeah. uh, <coughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Alenica business in a minute but uh, Suella Brabman the Home Affairs Secretary <coughs> or Minister uh, I, I should say uh, she said Jack rather inflammatory sort of remarks that there are a hundred million uh, displaced, externally displaced persons in the world, and they are coming here. Mm. Now, uh, the UK, uh, the UK received refugee applicants uh, <coughs> to the tune of eighty nine thousand. There's a big, big difference there between eighty nine thousand and hundred million, isn't there? Mm. <coughs> I think perhaps she did. Perhaps she was away the, day, the week they did maths. <laughs> She seems to be. She's a she's a um, a rather controversial minister. Uh, has been for some time. She's also bringing in a basically freedom of speech um, codicil for for the police, uh, which is very interesting, given yeah. her remarks about. She's a political warrior. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, she's she's definitely from the right. She's been Home Affairs Minister. She had to resign. Uh, about a year ago after it was discovered she used a private email account to uh, send off official documents to a colleague. Um, but the, the, the reason this is a potential um, uh, move to deal the Tories back into at least a competitive position is that um, a, a clear majority of the United Kingdom citizens uh, don't want the um, uh, boat arrivals across the Channel uh, and... Uh, and that puts Labor in a difficult position because almost all the Labor Party are, are sort of open borders people. Yeah. So, um, but the, the problem will be, Jack, uh, I, I understand the politics behind it, but, but the problem will be coming up with a plan that works uh, and coming up with a plan that, can't, that won't shift public opinion because, mm. you know, one thing we've learned from this Conservative government, and regardless of you know, which manifestation, whether it was a Johnson one or whether it was uh, uh, his predecessor or, or, or indeed his successor, short-lived as she was, and now uh, Sunak, is that they tend, to, they tend to make huge mistakes in terms of public administration. 
Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's the way this may well, this may well flip. Now, like I'm, I I know what you're saying. Basically, the proposition of Brexit was put forward to the, to, to Great Britons. I wouldn't say the same of the Scots or the Northern Irish. And it was put forward to them on the basis of race. Uh, and so you can understand how some people who've probably never seen a refugee in their life have a terrible fear about them. And that's why I get to Suella Bradman's comments about a hundred million people coming here. It's, it's the truth of the matter is that, uh, the UK receives half, half of what, uh, of what the French, uh, accept in terms of refugees. Um, and, uh, in terms of an acceptance of refugees, uh, uh, compared with the rest of Europe, they sit very much in the middle runs of uh, yeah, I don't, sort of I don't 40 think, nations. I don't think this has got much to do with race. This is essentially a, um, a rule of law issue. Um, the reason all around the world this is the case, the reason people don't like open borders policies is they believe there's a proper process and everyone should have to go through that process, that you can't just stroll across the border or hop on, a, hop on an inflatable um, and, and, and drive across the channel. Um, it's, I'm sure there's a racial element to it, but the biggest thing is they don't like the breaking of the rules. I understand, I understand, but uh, I'll just get back to the point. If, if, if the preponderance of these people in light bo- on, on small boats crossing the channel are, in fact, Afghan refugees... I think that's not right. We'll see. And, and uh, if the preponderance of them is that. And so we've got to ask a question. Why would you, if you're a refugee escaping, let's say, Syria or Afghanistan, why would you want to go to the UK? I mean, if you looked at their economic strategy, when you're already in France, don't forget. Well, you, 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 they're talking about people who have travelled through, like 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 uh, the UK is this sort of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But that's that's absolute nonsense because most other countries are accepting higher numbers. Well, the if, they are, if they are travelling through, they were tra- they are travelling through for a reason, and th- and that reason would be that they have fa- a familial contacts in the UK. Uh, that they may have uh, associates that they may, particularly if they're Afghan, if, Afghan, uh, Afghan people who have who have come across that they were that they had established relationships with British service service people and so forth. That might be another reason, but it's not as if. And this is what I, I get really annoyed about with Bradman's comments. That it's not as if you know everyone is you know that, that, that the UK is this bright shining. Um, artifice of, of democracy and and, uh, and 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 easy living, when that clearly isn't the case for a start on economic on, on economic grounds, but also the fact that you know that that it is you know the chosen spot where they would settle, and I, I, I find that a bit offensive, and I think and, and it's unnecessarily creating. Uh, problems, particularly problems of race and ethnicity within the UK now. Um, I don't think. I don't think it is, uh, Again, I don't think it's a question of race at all, um, or, or very small part of its race. It's really a question of are you going to follow the rules or are you not going to follow the rules? This is the same all around the world. It was the same in Australia. Certainly the same in the United States. Um, and uh, you know, I, I know the progressive left. Um, think this is wrong, but they've never, ever persuaded a majority of people to agree with them anywhere. 
no boat intercepts on the Rio Grande, mate. I mean, the, 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 we've done it here, but our geographic circumstances, for good or ill, have, have, have allowed that to, to work substantially well. The, the current policy, by the way, Christmas Island is closed. There are still a small number of refugees in the route. I think Manus Island is all but all but closed if it's not closed. Is basically if you arrive here, you're just sent back home and put you on a plane back home. Um, and and that works, I guess, if you're Sri Lankan. It doesn't work so well if you're from Afghanistan um, or Syria. Yeah, um, the Indonesians told us for years, you have to take the sugar off the table. Yeah, well, the sh- uh, uh, what I'm is saying it, is that the sugar's not on the table in the UK. Well, what the, I'm the, saying the, is that... The, in, the, in, in one important sense it is... Um, almost everybody wins their asylum case in the UK because of the way the courts work. It, that doesn't happen in Germany and France. There's a Italy. huge backlog of these cases, so yeah, there, there are problems within the immigration department And, and, as and well. like in Australia, a huge backlog's very good for the applicants because you're never going to get sent back. Yeah, but that, that means that they, they just don't have the bureaucratic weight there. And, yes, they're, they're one of their sources. For, I mean, like I, we, we, I talked about, we mentioned Rwanda. That's currently clogged in the courts. I read... One story from a refugee now settled in France, Jack. He made his way to the UK. Uh, they sent him back to Rwanda in the very, very early days of this transmission. Uh, he, he stayed in, uh, a, a, there was a residential sort of compound for him. He's there for a couple of days and then someone said, get on the bus and they drove him out to the Ugandan border and said, get out, off you go. Yeah. And he <laughs> traversed his way. <laughs> you've, got to give him, you've got to give him credit for this. He traversed his way. All up, all all through Eastern Africa, all the way up through Central Africa. God only knows how, and then made his way to France again. Rwanda doesn't seem to be a, a real problem. I'd also add that the EU has said that uh, this that this plan. And I know you're not a fan of the EU, but the EU, the EU has said that this plan uh, contravenes international law. Yeah, um, I don't know whether the, the, the Tories can pull this off, but if they can, it deals them back into the election. And most importantly, um, it, it's what the majority of the people want if it can be done. Uh, as I said, um, the progressives can rail against this and, and, and carry on, but they've never, ever persuaded a majority of the people to agree with them. All right, well, we'll see because Gary Lineker, a, uh, a highly regarded footballer from Days of yore, used to play for Leicester, uh, used to play for Everton, uh, also Spurs. played for Tottenham, Tottenham had Spurs, and one of the very rare uh, homegrown uh, Brit footballers who went to Barcelona and done good, uh, very fine player at Barcelona. I think 80 test caps uh, for the UK and the fourth highest, sorry, for England, and uh, the fourth highest uh, goal scorer for England, and has been a host of the match of the day. Uh, for God, twenty plus years, he's uh, the BBC's he went, highest paid employer. Yeah, one point three five million pounds is his estimated salary, worth every cent of it, mate. Because we saw uh, that uh, he made he made a remark. The remark uh, I I do have a few problems with. He likened Sarah Bravermans. We just talked about her hundred million people all coming here or coming here, she didn't say all, she said coming here. Uh, he likened that language to um, uh, to that of Nazi Germany in the 1930s, which is no doubt a bit of hyperbole. Um, 
Uh, but, of course, Lineker works for the BBC, and the BBC insist on impartiality. Why they insist on impartiality from a football show presenter? Oh, can, 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 can I just correct you there? Deck? Can I just correct you there? The BBC insists on the appearance of impartiality. Well, yeah, right. Well, they did in this case, and then they said, well... It's a, look, it's okay, Gary. We'll, we'll sort this out with a quick apology. And he said, "I'm not going to apologise." Well, Lineker, just to be to be clear, has has has, um, uh, has supported refugees. I believe he adopted a couple, or at least housed a couple of refugees in his own home, um, and feels very very strongly about this issue. Refused to apologise, and and so they stood him down for one game. I also have to say that for one uh, weekend, yes. Yeah, one weekend. I also have to say that the um, uh, the immigration minister, great uh, great genius that he is, Robin Jenrick, uh, said in a television program that um, Gary Lineker needs to be shown a red card, Jack. Mm. And that means what does that mean? That means suspension, doesn't it? Yeah, that well, means you, silencing. You go, you, doesn't you go for an early shower. That means cancel culture, doesn't it, Jack? It, what it really does. strikes me about this is that a week or two ago, people like uh, Braverman and Jenrick were saying, it is terrible what we're doing with Roald Dahl. It is terrible how we're getting so woke. It is terrible that this cancel culture is being practised. And then they go around and do it themselves. Mm. He has been reinstated, I believe. I think it's all over. I think that happened, yeah, today. It's mm. just happened today. He's been reinstated. And I don't know what he's going to do. Of course, his, uh, his co-compares, or his, uh, they call them pundits, on the panel, uh, people like Ian Wright, um, said, well, we're not going to work either. So the one-and-a-half-hour show went for 20 minutes with just a few uh, packages of highlights and apologies from the BBC. Um, I know Piers Morgan said, look, you know, if you're not reporting on political matters, it doesn't matter. You know, who, if you're in the BBC and you're not reporting on political matters, well, you should be allowed to tweet whatever you want to tweet. Yeah, well, I, I'm a bit of a believer to let them treat whatever they want to treat, tweet anyway. Um, but I can see why you um, you want you don't want your news reporters um, to be um, to be ex- airing their opinions on Twitter. Um, I can see but, that. I can see that. Yeah, um, but um, but any, any all the all your political pundits and all that sort of stuff, I've got no objection to them being on Twitter and letting us know what they think. I think it's actually a useful exercise. I mean, for starters, we can see um, uh, since Twitter started, we can see what a monoculture the ABC in Australia is. Um, all you're going to do is run through the Twitter feeds of um, of the people who were the, the prominent ABC voices, and with a few um, notable exceptions, um, they're all the same. Yeah, this, look, I wouldn't be so sweeping with that. Um, uh, um, and having had some experience of working in, inside the ABC, I, I, I can say that being in it uh, is is a lot harder than being out of it. Um, it, 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 it was not a pleasant experience. But um, uh, I, I, the, the thing that grabs me about the Lineker blow-up is the, the hypocrisy of it. And I had a bit of a chat with a nice bloke who, who calls himself from the centre-right on Twitter about this. And, and he said, well, you know, the left the left would be, 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 uh, be, be screaming louder and all that sort of stuff. And I said, mate, and this is something we've discussed. I said, the right have always been banning books. 
the right have always been banning banning elements of free speech that don't like. Uh, he asked me for some examples, and I gave him important. I gave him one of Portnoy's complaint, which takes us back to the seventies. That it was a banned book in Australia. And I said, conservatives, for some reason, they are terrified at the prospect of a horny public, and uh, and and they will they will they will impose themselves all the way. The difference now is is that the left has become as censorious as the right has always been, and that leads to this sort of new. Um, a puritanism in our society. Yeah, well, my view of it is I had no problems with Lineker tweeting that, but then I had no problems with Israel for Lau tweeting what he tweeted either, you know. Well, that's just it. You know, if, if, you, if you were a minister, a minister of the Crown of the UK, if you were Braverman or, or, or Jenny, then, then how do you deal with a comment like Gary Lineker's? Well, you don't say, oh, I think he should be cancelled, I think he should be suspended. I think he should you be You say vacated. you don't agree with it. You if say, you if you don't well, agree with this it. This is, yeah, yeah. You say, look, that's hyperbole. He's got that wrong. Um, uh, and, and, and while I respect his views, um, he, he, he's actually wrong on this on this count. And this is why he's wrong. So that's how you do it, right? Well, I wouldn't even do that. I would come straight out fighting if I was them and say, look, whenever you whenever you raise the spectre of we're all not like Nazi Germany, you've just lost the argument. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, look, it it, it, it didn't occur, it would seem to Suella Braverman, uh, who said, um, uh, uh, my children are directly descended from people who were murdered in gas chambers during the Holocaust. To kind of throw out this kind of flippant analogy diminishes the unspeakable tragedy that millions of people went through and I don't think anything that is happening in the UK today can come close to what happened in the Holocaust. Yeah. Well, she sort of makes that point, I suppose, that you, that you just said. Um, uh, she, she's married to a Jewish fellow, um, of course. Um, <coughs> Commons leader Penny Mordant, this is a beauty, accused Labor of borrowing from the Gary Lineker playbook by being the party of goal hangers. And uh, Lineker responded, uh, he hit back at her clumsy analogy, and that's a quote, saying he was just happy to have been in the six-yard box. To, sorry, he was just happy to have been better in the six-yard box than you are at the dispatch box. Oh, that's give, not bad. Uh, give that this, man, this, give this, that this, man this, a seat This, this actually dates back to a criticism that was often made of Lineker when he played, that he hung around the six-yard box and a hell of a lot of the goals he scored for England were just tap-ins when someone else would, made, did all the work. Um, so that's, that, that's, the, that's the historic um, uh, reason for that. Look, the BBC actually got it right by giving him his job back um, and there's a lesson there for the Australian Rugby Union. That's what they should have done. They should have said, no, Israel's playing. Yeah. Yeah, look... But this is precisely the point I'm making, that cancel culture, which is summoned up by the left and summoned up by the right when it suits them, um, it, 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 it certainly exists, but the, the stuff that's so, so, that can be offensive to the left, it, it just ignores that cancel culture and, 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 and similarly on the other side. Mm. I mean, that's, this is the junk and, and this is the junk of it and we're just leading ourselves into a sort of new you know, sort of sterile um, uh, forms of expression. Um, the yeah. way to handle things that cause offence is to come back and be just as offensive. That's, yeah. that's, that's the way it's got to be dealt with. 
you call the arguments. To some of us, that comes natural. Yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. It must be just said, but I don't think it's any of any great significance that the um, that the uh, the numbers of viewers uh, for the truncated version of Match of the Day actually rose, but I suspect that was people tuning in from a point of view of oh, it's just the one how they're going to do this. Yeah, I suspect that's right. Anyway, yeah, Piers um, Morgan, Piers Morgan made sense, except it's almost impossible within a bureaucratic uh, organisation like the BBC to. To, to, to basically um, uh, establish those rules uh, around political reporting and, and, and opinion uh, on yeah, Twitter but, or but, in other places. Really the way to manage that is just to have people in the organisation who manage people and say, look, I think you've sort of gone a bit too far with that. Just wind it back a bit. Well, you know what you end up with, Jack? You end up with a small army of people who are overseeing overseeing, uh, you know, for example, ABC employees on Twitter. No, no, you don't need a small army of people. You need one person who every now and again keeps a bit of an eye on it. No, I don't, I, I don't think it works that way, mate. I really don't think it works that way. So you, you end up becoming, you know, supervisory. I mean, this is part of the problem with the ABC is that their, their management that, that revolves around the oversight of their editorial policies is just so enormous. You know, there are just so many savings to be made by, by get, uh, cutting a lot of those people adrift. Anyway, we'll move on because uh, our, uh, one of our favourite letter writers, Farmer Lawrence, we can call him Farmer Lawrence because uh, that's what he does for a living, uh, wished to respond to your outrageous remarks about uh, Dutch farmers, Jack. Uh, he sent me a bit of a link, which uh, which I'm happy to post on uh, on our Facebook page because it really is very good, uh, and it shows a different side to this farmers' protest. Um, I'll just read the letter first, Jack. Um, um, but uh, Lawrence really knows what he's talking about in this respect. So he said, "I've got some views re Belgian and Netherlands farmers' protests. First up." Primary ingredient in uh, nitrogenous fertiliser is natural gas, hence the steep price rise, uh, step rise in prices in 2022. There are other ways to make it. They require bigger inputs of energy than gas. So there is talk about carbon neutral nitrogenous fertiliser either, uh, through either nuclear or green hydrogen, but it's some way time away yet. Yes, legislation enforcing reduced use of nitrogenous fertilisers and reduction of cattle numbers is being sold as a climate change matter, measure, I should say, but there are other reasons for it. Drinking water. Europe's streams, rivers and even underground water sources are being loaded up with excess nutrients. Plants don't use all the nitrogenous fertiliser applied in a growing season. Nitrogen fertiliser efficiency when growing grains is around 70 to 80%, but this drops below 50 when growing grass for animals. The unused nit- nit- uh, nitrogen moves down into tile drains under the farmland, put there to stop waterlogging of the plants above. From there, it goes into drainage ditches, then into local watercourses. The peri-urban challenge... The Flanders region in Belgium is a little bit bigger than the city of Sydney. It has 1 million more people, 500,000 cattle and 5.5 million pigs. So that's a lot of people and a lot of animal manure. Great fertiliser, 
but spreading it on farms creates odour issues for urban centres. Hmm. It also adds to nutrient loads, both nitrogen and phosphorus, when it's washed off into streams. Strict rules have been applied, so it is worked into the soil and in some cases injected deeper, but then you have the same problem of nutrients coming out of the bottom of the system into watercourses. Final personal thought, Lawrence says, it's a bit rich for EU farmers to be protesting government intervention when the same government's intervention lock competitors out of their markets while contributing around 50% of their income in direct payments for decades. And still does. And still does, of course. A nice little swipe there at the end. But, yeah, Lawrence is talking about this, um, the, the, the link that he posted to me, which I read with great interest, sort of indicates that these aren't – and the, the protest has been portrayed as a, you know, a small farmer battling against uh, the might of bureaucracy and government when really uh, it's, uh, it, it's driven, the protests are driven and encouraged and supported and funded by some of the largest agri-corp co- uh, companies in, um, in the UK, uh, in, sorry, in, in Europe and around the world. So very interesting and an alternate take there. I did notice in the, uh, in the piece that Lawrence sent through that there is, in that piece, it's, it's expressed as fact rather than opinion, um, that uh, it may well be that Europeans have to eat less meat and that's when we get to a problem, don't we? Uh, yeah, people are very fond of doing this or that for the environment until it come, comes time to losing money or changing their lifestyle. I think that's a good uh, good response to that, yeah. So it's not, it's not just about, you know, climate tyranny, Jack, I think it was called. There's been a few signs up about climate tyranny. I saw some idiot tweeting. Uh, about the Dutch farmers, Dutch and Flemish farmers, uh, without having a real any understanding that this actually you'll get you'll get a lot more angry people if they can't drink the water. Put it that way. Mm. All right, well, you, you need to make the case that's going to happen. Well, I think we just we just basically heard it. You know that you've got way too much uh, uh, mm. nitrogen and phosphorus, and that it is leaking into the water systems now. And the history of this is just that. And and so the so the Dutch at least or the, the the Dutch government have actually tried to sit down with their farmers, and uh, due to support from the big corporations, the big agricorps, they've gone no. So so there was a negotiate there was a negotiation there, and now that's led to sort of a legislation. Yeah. Interesting stuff, and I'd recommend our listeners do a bit of reading about it because this has been cast perhaps unfairly as small farmers fighting against the man when really it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, Net zero and the global race for new green prosperity, almost uh, a um, uh, a contradiction from what I've just been talking about, Jack. Um, I was just amused. This is Rachel Reeves, who's the shadow chancellor in the UK. She's a Labor MP, obviously. Um, And this is a common theme that, um, that political parties carry on with all around the world. And this is her. There is a global race on, and despite all our promise and potential, Britain is falling behind. Labor will change that. Our green prosperity plan is vital for getting our economy growing so we can lead the pack again. Britain can win the race for the jobs of the future. Labor's green prosperity plan will bring back our world-class car manufacturing. Well, she must be old. Um, uh, to build electric vehicles here and bring back good jobs to our industrial heartlands. Um, this could be Chris Bowen. Um, everyone's always talking about 
uh, the global race. We've got to be we've got to be first to do all these green things without ever really thinking them through. But there are, I mean, I, I think a lot of those people that we can call them climate uh, agnostics, if we like, Jack, climate change agnostics. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of the, that opinion revolves around just just completely ignoring the opportunities. In, in employment and, and enriching your economy uh, these ways. What we did see and haven't seen profoundly yet is that uh, motor vehicle manufacturing in in the UK, uh, a lot of it down in the south of the country, um, it's, it's essentially manufacturing parts. I mean, the, the vehicles will be assembled, whether they're uh, Holden or Ford, they'll be assembled ultimately in, in, in countries like Romania. The difficulty is with Brexit, Jack, is that makes it very, very difficult to get those parts into that place where they're finally assembled into one whole vehicle. Um, so they've got problems with the UK. I don't think they'll ever really overcome Brexit as a, as a, as a handbrake on their economy. For It will be for a very, very long time. Well, the, the car manufacturers, I don't think, agree with you. Um, uh, there was always talk that they would shift their manufacturing out of the UK, and they haven't. In fact, they're growing there. I, I'm just wondering how the old businesses they are. Don't tell me the businesses are growing. They're not growing. It's just a, it's a tolerable state right at the moment, but it really only just needs some logistics planning from some of the major motor vehicle manufacturers, and that just cuts them out. And that's that's because that's where the pressure on supply is. <coughs> well, there's certainly talk of more investment. I'm just wondering how old she is because she can remember a time when the UK had a world-class car manufacturing uh, uh, business. Uh, I don't know when that was. <laughs> Why? Haven't you ever driven a Leyland? What was it? PT76? P76. P76, yeah. Mate of mine used to play a lot of cricket with him. You'd see him coming from miles away. You'd just hear it, the Leyland, and then, the, like, the windscreen used to pop out. Um, mm. <laughs> you'd have to put it in with a bit of chewy gum on the side. It just used to pop out, and that apparently was a feature. Yeah, all right. Not 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 the, not their highest point, but they yeah, Rolls Royce are pretty much based there, Jack, and they do they do a pretty good uh, line in yeah, uh, aviation well, engines uh, and what have you. Yeah, really yeah and, and Jaguar used to make great cars, but you had to buy two. <laughs> you, know, you always had one in the shop getting repaired. <laughs> Although if you buy if you buy a Rolls, it'll cost you an arm and a leg just to uh, just put some air in the tyres. Um, Vietnam, we've been looking at Vietnam as an industrial hub um, uh, and a growing one, Jack. Um, but there's uh, there's some political problems all there at the moment. Well, um, the, the the president's been pushed out um, on a um, an anti-graft crack crackdown. Um, uh, he, he and his family uh, were involved in 175 million US dollars. A procurement order for test kits at the height of the COVID pandemic um, that allegedly uh, spurned the embezzlement of millions of dollars of state money. So he's been pushed out, and, the, and when, because the, just like in China, the real power resides with the general secretary of the Communist Party. So no one really knows at this stage whether this is a, a genuine statewide, um, uh, countrywide. Um, uh, crackdown on corruption, or whether it's a political play to get rid of a, a, a rival. 
what it it has led to Uh is a slowing down of investment and development because um, uh, nobody in the in the bureaucracy wants to sign off on a decision in case it's later found to have been (laughs) a dodgy one talking about your handbrakes so so 175 million procurement of uh, COVID testing kits Jack um that doesn't sound like an overwhelming amount of money. 175 million is a lot of money. They don't get me wrong. But if you're providing, I would need to know how many of these kits were being provided and just how much money that uh, might have been taken off the top. Yeah, how much was skimmed off the top. Mm, okay. So All it'll right. be one to keep an eye on. It's early days yet no one's really quite sure. Yeah, look, you know, as we say, as we've been saying now for weeks, uh, uh, Vietnam is perhaps best placed uh, to become the next big manufacturing hub for the world. Uh, yeah, and, and foreign, foreign direct investment still happening. Yeah, and, and that will happen. But if you have these sorts of political impediments, these sorts of hurdles, that will slow it all down. Investors like certainty. Indeed they do. Didn't we just say that earlier on? Who was? Oh, no, that was President Xi Jinping, Jack. You've taken mm. a... Taken a note out of his book, uh, but he's absolutely right about that. Um, now we move on to sport, Jack. Um, the uh, uh, the Border Gavaskar Trophy has been won by the Indians 2-1. Series just wrapped up last night with a draw in Ahmedabad. Um, pretty good game, actually, for a draw. Did peter out probably in the last couple of sessions uh, when Australia didn't look like they were going to lose any wickets in a hurry. Uh, and we did also notice, uh, and the Indian team were noticing very, very closely too, because there was an outside chance that Sri Lanka would make the final of the of the ICC Test Championship, provided they beat New Zealand two zip. And in the first test, there it went right down to the wire, with New Zealand winning by the last ball of the day. I don't know if you saw it. Um, uh, Williamson, uh, Williamson scattered. Uh, there was a ball, probably should have been called a wide. Uh, short ball bowled at him, uh, and uh, and he and his batting partner, I think it was Wagner. Um, he, it's Wagner ran to the keeper's end, and Williamson ran to uh, to the non-striker's end. Uh, the, the 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 throw hit the stumps, and uh, and he was home by about by about half a meter, and that gave them the win. The Indians were watching all of this. Um, I don't know if they had it on the board. They must have um, because they all started shaking hands with one another knowing that uh, that meant that they would be playing in the ICC Test Championship. Australia assured its place with its win in um, in Indoor. Which I think it's at the Oval this time. It is at the Oval. I've been saying Lords, so I do apologise. I just presumed it would be at Lords and it will be at the Oval, which is a... A different track um, uh, will suit uh, India's spinners, but Australia have got a few now too. You know, we, we, we lost 2-1, probably it's being reported today, lost in about an hour's worth of cricket uh, at, uh, at Delhi where they just uh, threw, threw, away, uh, threw away their opportunities. But we found out a fair bit about our current crop and then there's a fair bit to be excited about um, with uh, some of the new players that have come in. Todd Murphy's been... Todd Murphy is, is a ready, ready-made test player now. Um, mm. And I don't know if you saw him bat with with uh, with Nathan Lyon, 
Um, <clears throat> when they put together, they put on 80. <clears throat> he got 50. And uh, I just looked at his uh, his stats. And, and from Victoria, I think his top score was about 20-odd and, and he averaged eight. But, of course, he'd only played seven games. So, so we yeah. just had no idea. And he might have played pretty good country cricket uh, with the bat. Um because uh, he can, he plays square drives, pull shots, you know. He looks yeah. like he's got a fair bit about him. So that's well, one Kurt, they've definitely picked up. Kuhneman looks okay. As, as yeah, looks a, a ready-made cricketer as absolutely, well. Absolutely, absolutely. We've also seen Nathan Lyons' <clears throat> reputation as, as well, is he the greatest of all time, the, great, the, the goat of off-spinners? He's certainly the largest wicket-taker <clears throat> from oppositions in India now. Um, having overtaken Derek Underwood. Um, I think uh, we've also learned a fair bit about Travis Head. He got 90 yesterday. She probably should have gone on and got a ton, played a, a fairly um, fairly big drive to Draxigalev um, and, um, and, uh, and got our clean bowl. But uh, I think we found, we found a good opener there now too. Uzi Kawaja uh, did not bat, um, did not open, did not bat at all. Seems to have a bit of a calf problem, Jack, and that's a worry, man of his age. Yeah, they don't tend to get better very quickly. They take a while. They take a while if they ever get better. I, I just thought it was a terrific series, um, and and I think uh, you know, with with you take one hour of really bad cricket out of uh, out of Australia's performance on that whole tour, and I think it was pretty much even Stevens and the, the Indian side. The other, of course, thing been, the other thing that's been missed, I think, in the coverage of it is that the uh, Indian quick bowlers were much better than ours. Um, yeah, look at the, I think Shami's, a, Shami's a, an outstanding bowler. Um, in the first two tests, he took seven at 14. Um, only, bowl, only bowled 30 overs and took seven wickets at, at, at 14. Um, um, and our blokes, there's a reason for that, um, that the Indians are skiddier bowlers, um, which works better on their tracks over there. That's no doubt about that. Wasn't, wasn't a lot of, um, wasn't a lot of uh, reverse going on throughout the whole series. Um, Shami's a hell of a good bowler. His um, uh, bowling uh, <laughs> in the Medabad was, was outstanding. He was easily the, the, the pick of the Indian bowlers in the first innings when Australia did knock up a big 400, very flat deck. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you're a hell of a good player. Um, look, you, we were missing Hazelwood. We were missing Stark. I don't think Stark is suited to those conditions at all. No. I would have liked to have seen uh, Scott Boland uh, um, bowl a little bit more, but really once they'd settled on the selection of the three spinners, I think, I think that made sense. I think that worked. Uh, here's an interesting stat for you. In the last of India's seven home series... Their fast bowlers have collectively averaged below 21. In each of those um, uh, series, the opposition quicks have averaged over 35. Yeah, look, the only thing I'd say about that is that they really didn't come up with a, with a second seamer. So Shami was the, you know, and, and they've got the they've got the great they've got the great bloke out injured at the moment, um, but uh, that. Second or third seamer seems to be a little bit elusive for them. Yeah, um, yeah he's, a, he's a very good player, but um, but uh, I don't know that he's as good as let's say Hazelwood. Um, <coughs> but um, 
Uh, yeah, good series, and we can't wait for. Uh, well, they, they go now into a into a one day as and yeah. I think best of three there. Uh, Cummins is back for that and will lead Australia out there. I, I have a look at someone like Marnus Labuschagne. I think I don't know that he's going to be playing the one day. I, I don't think he's that sort of player now. No, um, we'll see. Um, uh, but that's coming. That starts on Thursday. Also starting Jack on Thursday night is the Blues and the Tigers kicking off the AFL season. It can't come soon enough, can it, really? Gee, I thought the AFL had done a really good job. Every one of those matchups in the first round's a beauty. They do really get It's not as if they pull them out of a hat anymore. They really do no, they just don't. line them up, don't they? Uh, who else have we got there, Jack? Besides that, oh, I, I only really care about the game on Thursday night. Everything else is just nothing to me. But uh, who else we got? Um, the uh, who else we got? We've got um, uh, uh, the Cats and uh, and Collingwood, um, and North Melbourne and West Coast, Port Adelaide and Brisbane, Melbourne and the Bulldogs, Gold Coast Suns and Swans, Giants and the Crows. Hawthorne, this in it, and St Kilda and Fremantle. And um, uh, I know you've just been logging on to your um, uh, footy fee, footy tipping thing, oh, and you're going to have your work cut out with that. Yeah, it, uh, if you if you can get if you get five or six, you're going okay. Yeah. Give me one tip, Jack. Who's going Who's going to be your wooden spooner this year? Uh, who's going to go worst? I think um, uh, Hawthorne or um, or North. All right, I'll give mine a St Kilda side that should be doing a lot better, and I just think they're uh, not particularly well. Well, I think Hawthorne are going to have to get worse before they get better, and probably North a little bit the same. Yeah, I think that's right. I just, I, I just have a feeling. I mean, I'm completely wrong. Some people have tips and kill to make the eight, but I just think uh, they've, uh, uh, they've they've left good management out of uh, out of their system for a long time. In 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 rugby league, Jack, the Dolphins are too. Zip, um, they beat the Raiders. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Um, uh, the coach of the Raiders there, he won't be happy. He's always complaining about something. If they ever get beaten, it's the refs. He's, or the, he's, you know. he's, he's never happy, is he? <laughs> Ricky Stewart. He, he, he was complaining in the in, in the first round that, that one of their players was called off with, you know, with, with the concussion rule, and he said, I should be able to make that decision. I mean, fair no. no. <laughs> Ricky, no, no, mate, you don't make those decisions. So, so uh, the, uh, the the Dolphins beat uh, beat the Raiders. Ha ha! I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, so tw- uh, they beat them twenty fourteen at the Ko Stadium. It's a ten thousand seater in Redcliffe, Jack. Purpose built that it is just for uh, your benefit. Next to the Dick Tosser Turner Complex, I don't even know what that is. But, uh, he, was the, he was the former player who used to be on the media, wasn't he? Dick Tosser. I, 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 it seems to be some sort of sailing outfit, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I might, I no, no. Uh, Tosser Turner was on the, he used to be on the media. Oh, okay. All right. Tosser Turner. I think so, anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, well, our listeners will correct us, I'm sure. The Storm were thumped by the Bulldogs, who in turn were thumped the previous week. So there's, uh, it's, it's pretty hard working out form uh, while the Roosters... Uh, uh, away uh, got their first win, beating the Warriors 2012, and their season is now officially underway. Uh, and uh, and Jack, just finally, quite seriously, there was a um, uh, an awful an awful fall at uh, Flemington on uh, on Saturday. Um, 
high-profile jockey Jamie Carr is, is, remains sedated and in critical condition. Uh, and Craig Williams uh, also had a fall. He's uh, being operated now for a broken shoulder and he suffered concussion as well. It's just, uh, I don't want to get into the whole business of, oh, racing's too dangerous and this and that and the other, but um, it just tells you just how hard that job of being a jockey must be. You're riding around at about a thousand, thousand pounds worth of animal, and uh, you're basically sitting on a cigarette, cigarette paper. Yeah, uh, Jamie Carr's um, uh, talking to the family now, so they've pulled her out of the, the sedation. So well, that's that good news. news. Uh, yeah, the last report I read was not uh, not as uh, not as happy as that one. So that's excellent news. Now, Jack, take us out. Uh, look, there were, there were two things that caught my eye this week. Was um, uh, First of all, involves the possible, the possible Trump indictment, um, and uh, and and one of the wags on Twitter said said this: instead of resorting to failed ninety style tough on crime politics, we should address address Trump's law breaking with job training, affordable housing, and mental health services. <laughs> oh, that's a real cynical view. Can I just remind? Uh, I hope, I hope that uh, fellow's listening. Can I just remind that uh, Donald Trump took out a full-page ad in the New York Times urging the um, the execution-style punishment of, uh, of uh, a group of uh, black men uh, who'd been allegedly involved uh, in the, the um, rape and murder of, uh, of a woman. And that turned in out... In Central Park. And in Central Park, and DNA, of course, made rendered them innocent. Um, so, um, <coughs> yes, I would be going out to and, and, and the last thing was, I know you're really keen on electric vehicles, um, uh, and, and there's a, still at the moment a shortage, probably able to be overcome, but a shortage of electric vehicles charging stations. Yeah. And um, uh, there was some chaps in Georgia um, who did a robbery um, and their getaway vehicle was a Tesla. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately for them, it ran out of charge uh, about five or ten minutes away from the scene of the crime <laughs> um, uh, and they were unable to recharge it. Um, so they were scooped up by the Wallopers. Oh, well, look, there you go. There's another benefit to electric vehicles there. Yes, they <laughs> jumped in there. Look, can you just wait half an hour while I just yeah. get a charge into this yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. look, it is, it, it is a bit of an issue, and, and, and Tesla drivers are actually saying, look, every time I go, or, or indeed any EV, because Tesla have their own charging units and they don't allow, uh, or perhaps they're not capable of uh, handling other vehicles and so forth. And, and you do see a lot of Americans, I see this on Instagram, sort of complaining that there'll be all of this sort of infrastructure, there'll be all these charging stations, but only half will work, and then other people will just park there overnight and charge their vehicles overnight, so it's actually quite difficult to get in. Mm. Uh, and uh, and that brings us to the end, Jack, unless you've got something else. I noticed no, there's no, something pretty not. interesting going on in Germany here, Jack. Oh, this was the oh, – I forgot about that. Um, uh, the uh, <laughs> In Berlin, they've announced that um, the, the water park um, uh, uh, and, the, and the public pools there are now going to allow women not to wear um, uh, tops on their bathing. They'd be topless, topless yeah, bathing. Topless. Well, men have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, and that's uh, exactly. Um, uh, and um, 
And the best comments on that was, you know, first of all, finally equality. <laughs> yes, I agree. And, uh, Fantastic. And some young, some young man, um, uh, uh, I thought perhaps even topped that with, uh, "It's been ein Berliner." There you go. There you he go. Was, uh, I think. Uh, um, I think today we're all the JFK. I think we're all the winners today. Yeah. Excellent work, uh, and and you, and uh, and uh, I think uh, a great a great achievement for progressivism around the world. Thank you for joining us today, Jack. Uh, you've been terrific. You've hung in there. Your voice has just made it through the program. I hope uh, you uh, avoid the dreaded two lines on the uh, COVID test kit later on today or perhaps early tomorrow. Uh, thank you for your time today. Cheers. And uh, thank you to our listeners. And uh, we just uh, want to uh, ask you, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. We, uh, we deal with all our letters. Uh, we try and uh, get them into the program. We've got another one sitting there from Ray. We haven't forgotten about you, Ray. We'll get to you next week. Uh, and um, and so you says you can get hold of us uh, uh, through the Conditional Release Program Facebook page. You can get hold of us that way uh, through instant messaging or you can get hold of me on Jack the Insider, uh, uh, on at Jack the Insider on Twitter. My DMs are always open. And, Jack, you've got your... Oh, you can find me on Substack. There'll be something else posted up there tomorrow if I stop coughing. All right, there you go. Uh, there you go. Thank you, listeners, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye now. Cheers.